Uh, good evening, folks, and good to see you back this evening, and do pray the Lord has a blessing for us all as we look into his word. Please turn to Matthew chapter 27. Again, this is the portion of scripture we read this morning. We're just going to read from verse 29 down to verse 38. Matthew 27 and verse 29. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. When they were come onto the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for thy word. We thank thee for the reading of it. We do pray, Lord, that it may enter into our hearts, that we might dwell upon these words that have been read, what would be preached this evening. Again, we pray, Lord, that only you would be seen and your word might go into our ear, into our heart, that we might meditate upon it, think upon it, and, Father, be doers of it. We thank you for our Savior. We thank you that today we celebrate, as it were, Resurrection Day. We realize that he came down to this world. He never deviated from the left to the right, but he stared a straight course towards Calvary. And, Father, he gave his life as a propitiation for our sin. And, O oh God, our Father, we thank Thee that He never stayed in the tomb. We thank Thee, Father, that He rose victorious over death, over the grave. And, Father, He is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where He will come to bring His saints home. So, Father, we do pray, Lord, that as we look to Thy Word this evening, that You would bless and undertake. And, Father, uh, that each and every one of us, as we leave here this evening, might be able to say it was good for us to be here. For here we met with the Lord and was blessed. To this end, undertake, we'll be careful to give Thee the praise and the glory in our Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning we started studying this beautiful subject, the crown of thorns. And firstly, we contemplated our Lord's person. And then we considered his power. And folks, the Lord could have easily, as I said this morning, opened up the ground and swallowed up those who had been torturing him and those who were going to crucify him. But that's not the reason why he came. 
It was love that brought him down to this earth. It was love that took him to Calvary. It was love that made him go on that cross and bear our sins for each and every one of us. This morning, we beheld the man. In a sense, we beheld his glory. And I love that word, glory, the glory of God. And I remember an evangelist, an Irish evangelist called Jim Flanagan, who was preaching in Australia here, and he gave an explanation of that word glory. Think about it. How would you explain the word glory? He said it's the outshining of an inner excellence. And I can't think of a better way to explain the glory of God, the outshining of an inner excellence. We saw his glory this morning. We were brought face to face with his excellency. Isaiah saw his glory and we heard the cry of the angels, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. He was the answer to the question. Remember we looked at it this morning and I want to go into more detail this evening in relation to this. But he was the answer to the question that Isaac asked of his father when going up the mount. He said, Father, here is the wood. And here is the fire, but where is the burnt offering? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide himself an offering. And 1,870 years later, which is 388, 3,888 years ago, uh, that question was asked and it was supplied. It was fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord literally provided himself as that offering. We looked at all that this morning and we saw that John the Baptist, whenever the Lord came to him, pointed him out and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We looked at the material of the crown. We looked at the making of the crown. We looked at the misery of the crown this morning. Now we're going to look at the fourth point is the mockery, the mockery of the crown. You know, our Lord was subjected to terrible mockery. And folks, you and I as Christians today, to some degree, we endure some mockery. And some of you young people at school will endure mockery. And they'll say to you, surely you're too old to go to Sunday school. Surely you're too old to believe in church. Surely you're too old to go to fuddy-duddy Sunday school and all the rest of it. And you will endure mockery. But just think of your Savior who endured so much mockery 2,000 years ago. The Lord was subjected to terrible mockery. The one who was born king of the Jews, the one who came from the glories of heaven, the one who is the coming king of kings and lord of lords, the one who is the head of the church, endured mockery from his creation, from those whom he created. Look, he is continually mocked and he's subjected to the scorn of the crowd. He is blasphemed. And he's made a laughing stock of. I want us to take note of some things that they were guilty of when they mocked him. Firstly, they repudiated his claims. They repudiated his claims. They did this when they crowned him with the crown of thorns. So, you are the king, are you? You're the one who is king of the Jews. 
You are the king of the Jews, are you not? And they mocked him. Well, that being so, we'll crown you. After all, you're a king. Look at you. Miserable. Bleeding. Your back is torn to pieces. Your crown of thorns on your head. There's spittle running down your face. So you're the king of the Jews, are you? All right, then we'll make you a crown and so forth and so on. And they make him a crown. And they have their mock coronation day. They mock him. They spit upon him. They pull the very hairs out of his face. And they repudiated his claims that he was their true Messiah. He was, in fact, the king of the Jews. He was the person who came to save them, the real king of the Jews. But they did not accept who he was. They did not recognize who was in their midst. They did not see him as the branch of the Old Testament. They did not see him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. They did not see him as the perfect servant of Isaiah 42. They did not see him as the bridegroom of Song of Solomon. Oh, many of them knew their Old Testament. Many of them knew the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so on. But they did not recognize the Christ when he stood in front of them. Isn't it sorrowful? Isn't it, in a sense, a pity that they could not recognize their Messiah? So they repudiated his claims. Secondly, they ridiculed his character. They tried every which way possible to ruin his character. The spotless, sinless character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's absolutely no way that they could do that. Like Daniel in the Old Testament and he was a mere mortal, he was a mere man, but they tried to uh, tarnish his character and they could not. And just like Daniel, they started setting up false witnesses. They started gathering around them people to tell lies. The spotless, sinless son of God. And they paid men they give men money to lie about him. They had false witnesses. They had a farcical court held at night time. There was no defense. They struck the accused, which was forbidden in their own law. In fact, they should not have had a court at night time. At night time. That was forbidden. It was forbidden not to have a defense. And yet our Lord Jesus Christ is set in front of them. They have a mock coronation. They, they torture him to within an inch of his life. And they have all this going on at night time. And they're ridiculing his character. They deprived him of sleep. They even give what the Bible calls large money to the soldiers who guarded his tomb. They give them large money. They give them a lot of money to tell lies and say, hey, while we were asleep, something happened and the disciples came and stole them from under us. And the high priest says, we'll secure you. Don't worry, we'll look after you. It was a death penalty to fall asleep as a Roman soldier. They did all they could to destroy and to ridicule his character. 
But listen, folks, what man does and what man says is of absolutely no consequence because God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the Christ of Calvary. He is the one who has come from heaven above down to the sin-cursed world to pay the penalty of son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And regardless of all the lies and all the false innuendos, the Lord Jesus Christ still went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin for each and every one of us. They repudiated his claims. They ridiculed his character. They rejected his compassion. You know, God is love. Folks, you and I in this church, we know that God is love. We know that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He came from heaven's glory to the sin-cursed world, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, that he might go to the cross and pay the penalty of our sin. God is love. Jesus is love incarnate. Jesus is love in the flesh standing before them. And they tried to reject all his compassion. He said unto them, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. To the Gentiles, to the Jews, to the soldiers, he said, Come to me. No one was left out. But they scorned it. They rejected it. Their feelings were gone. There was no compassion. There was no sensitivity. They were callous. They were brutal. And they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So they repudiated his claims. They ridiculed his character. They rejected his compassion. And they refused his commandments. Folks, everything he taught, they refused. Enough to say, they said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Now we know that some followed, but thousands did not. He fed the thousands with the fish and the bread. Some followed, but thousands did not. He said, follow me, and they did not. He said, love your enemy. He said, love God. He said, do right. He warned them about the scribes and the Pharisees and they refused over and over again to listen. They knew him well. They listened to him many, many times. They listened to him in their thousands. They saw the miracles which he did. They, they, they saw the bread and the fish feeding 5,000. He healed the blind and the sick. He even raised the dead among them. Folks, how would you feel? What decision would you make if you were in that day walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing him turning the bread and feeding 5,000 and all the fish and baskets and baskets left over, healing the sick, healing the blind, making the, the dead to live again? Do you think you would have followed Christ? Do you not think you would say, well, this is truly the Messiah. This is truly God who has come to visit us on earth. But they refused. We don't know how many in that day followed, but it was few by comparison to those that he ministered to. No, they said, 
We don't want him. We want a criminal. We don't want... Give us Barabbas instead. We like this guy who's the criminal, who, who was involved in sedition. We like him better than this good man over here. And they released Barabbas unto them instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Lord Jesus Christ became the substitute for Barabbas. Barabbas was, he was the most fortunate man of the day. He was released from certain death. Why? Because Jesus took his place on Calvary's tree. He became the substitute for Barabbas in the same way that he became the substitute for the whole world. And praise God, you and I do not have to go to a cross and pay the penalty of our sin. Praise God, we do not have to pay the penance of all the sins we've ever committed because the Lord God laid on him the sins of the world during those hours of darkness. Folks, we ought to be up shouting, Hallelujah! Praise God for what he has done for us on this Easter day. Praise God. They repudiated his claims. They ridiculed his character. They rejected his compassion. They refused his commandments. The crown of thorns, the material of the crown, the making of the crown, the misery of the crown, the mocking of the crown. The material was thorns, the making of the crown, the blood was shed. The misery of the crown, the suffering, the mockery of the crown, the humiliation. Now we look at the meaning of the crown. You know, one of the things the thorns remind us of is the curse. We looked at that this morning, which was brought about in part by the deception of the evil one, the devil, the serpent, Beelzebub, Lucifer, call him what you will. It's the same person. And he is a person. He is a real person. He is not the figment of imagination. He's not the little devil with red horns that the world would try to paint and try to take our uh, mind off the reality of the person of the devil. One of the things the thorns remind us of is this curse, which was brought about by the deception of the devil. But thorns also represent the world. Now, we haven't got time to turn to all these passages. We will turn to some others later. But in Matthew 13 and verse 7 and verse 22, it says, And the seed fell among thorns. Verse 7. And then in verse 22, we have the interpretation or the meaning or the explanation of what has been said. The seed fell among thorns. Then the Lord describes what he's talking about. And the thorns represent the cares of this world. You see, so often the word of God goes forth just like today. Just like every, I appreciate Pastor Gavin Jiggle. I appreciate his knowledge of the Word of God. I appreciate the way he expounds the Word of God. And I appreciate that I'm sitting down there every Sunday listening to a man of God preaching the Word. And sometimes the Word goes forth and it falls on good ground. But sometimes it falls among thorns. 
And the thorns represent the curse of the world. And there may be someone here this evening who, because of your friendships and because of your associations and because of your businesses and so forth, that when the seed is sown, that the cares of this world are chewing you up. And you're not prepared to accept the seed of God's word. Because, oh, what am I going to tell Jimmy tomorrow morning? What am I going to do when I get into work tomorrow morning? What am I going to do with this business practice? What am I going to do about this sporting practice? Oh, the curse of the world chew you up. You're not letting the word of God. Not allowing the seed of the word of God to settle in your heart. Thorns represent the world. The seed fell among thorns. The thorns are the cares of this world. So thorns represent the world. Now please turn to Numbers 33. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 33 and just a couple of verses from there. Verse 50 to 55. And the Lord spake unto Moses uh, in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, now Canaan is not a type of heaven, it's a type of entering into the joy of the Lord, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants. Now that speaks to us who have been saved, and we're walking in Christ, and we need to drive out the inhabitants of the land. That is, all the things that are within that is unchristlike in our lives. Drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy their pictures, and destroy their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land. Have you dispossessed this evening, folks? Have you dispossessed? the inhabitants of the land that you well, kind of carried over from their old life. And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land that dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. And ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more ye shall give the more inheritance, and to the fewer ye shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers ye shall inherit. But if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Pricks in your eyes and thorns in your flesh. Folks, if you carry things over from the world, if you have secret sins, if you're involved in things that you ought not to be, then it'll be like a thorn in the flesh. And it will stop you from doing what God wants you to do. So thorns represent the world. Thorns represent the flesh. Now looking back to the fall in the garden when man disobeyed God and sin was cast upon all. And of course this was all caused by listening to the devil himself. Again let's turn to Genesis chapter 3 and I'll read the first six verses there. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said unto the serpent, uh, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in that day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And we know that the eyes of them both were opened. Enough to say, whenever you go on down in that passage again, we just do not have time. But verses 9 to 15 and verse 18 talks about after the fall, after the sin of Adam and Eve, the Lord brought thorns and thistles as part of the curse. So, thorns represent the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these thorns are now placed on our Lord Jesus Christ's head as he deals with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he suffered there for us, folks, bearing our sin in his own body on the tree during those hours of darkness. He paid the penalty of our sin, and he dealt with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he was able to say, it is is finished. The greatest three words, I believe, in the history of mankind, whenever the Lord was on that tree, bearing the sin of the world in his own body on the tree, even before he knew where he was going to go in just a few minutes' time, he was able to say, it is finished, accomplished. Praise God. I no longer have to pay the price of my own sin. I couldn't do it, even if I tried. Praise God, the price has been paid once and for all. And if you're outside of Christ this evening, there may come a time, and we'll read about it later on, that you will have to appear before Almighty God and give an account of yourself. Wouldn't it be much easier to say, Finished, enter thy into the joy of thy Lord, thy good and faithful servant. Wouldn't it be much easier to stand before God and say, Jesus paid it all, praise God. The price has been paid. We are justified in his sight. But only because of Calvary. Presently it is my responsibility, presently it is our responsibility to keep the flesh under control. Not to compromise with the world and to resist the devil. Praise God for scriptures like Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil. 
and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Are you subject to bondage this evening? If you're a believer, you're not. Praise God, we are no longer under bondage. We are free and under Christ's control. Now, because we are free, it does not mean to say that we can do as we please. We are free to accomplish his will in our lives that others may see who we are and whom we serve. So what does all that really mean to me? Well, it means this, that Christ went to the cross, won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And because he did this, it means that he can help you and me have power over the same old flesh, the world, and the devil. For the unsaved, the word of God says, he would have all men to be saved. He wants you to be delivered. He wants you to be rescued from sin. This is the deliverance that is available. That Jesus Christ died for your sin. That he rose again from the dead. And that he's coming again to receive you unto himself. The hymn writer put it this way. Christ breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the vilest clean. His blood avails for me. Amen. His blood avails for me. The meaning of the crown of thorns speaks to us of deliverance from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The mystery of the crown. The crown of thorns is the fulfillment of prophecy. And one of the most beautiful types is found in Genesis 22. Now we touched on this this morning, but I want to highlight a few things to you from Genesis 22. It's a wonderful portion of scripture way back in the beginnings. And it's always good to look at the first mention and so forth. Here we have the mystery of the crown. The crown of thorns is the fulfillment of all prophecy, and one of the most beautiful types is found in Genesis 22. Here we see that the Lord commanded Abraham to offer up his only son that he loved, Isaac. He was to offer him on Mount Moriah. And as we look very briefly at this passage, we will see several types. Now, if you are not aware of what a type is, a type describes the real thing. If I was to bring a little statue of the Eiffel Tower, I would say, well, this is the Eiffel Tower. But it's not. It's an image of the Eiffel Tower. It's a representation of the Eiffel Tower. But here we have in the Old Testament pictures, prophecies, types of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24, when the Lord spoke to the two on the road to a mess, he opened up the word, as it were, and said uh, that uh, the books of Moses and all the Old Testament prophets speaks of me, the Lord Jesus. He is in the Old Testament. And here we see that the Lord commanded Abraham to offer up Isaac, uh, his only son, that he loved. He was to offer him on Mount Moriah. And if you look at this very briefly, we will see a few types coming out. But Genesis 22, 11 to 13. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thy anything unto him. For now I know that thy fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jareth, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Here we see the ram which became the substitute, as it were. He was caught by his horns in a thicket. A thicket is a thorny bush. And here in Genesis 22 is the picture which was fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ 1,870 years later. Here was the ram caught in a thorny bush. The ram's head with a crown of thorns, if you like, that was going to become the substitute for the one who was going to be put to death. The substitute in the thicket. And our Lord with the head crowned with thorns. Folks, our Lord Jesus Christ is our substitute in fulfillment of that type. He was crowned with thorns. And he answered the question, as it were, that Isaac asked so many years before. Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide himself. And he did provide himself. And so right back in the book of beginnings, a perfect type of our Lord Jesus Christ with the crown of thorns. No wonder our Lord himself could say, and it's in John chapter 8 and verse 56. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. I wonder if the Lord was referring to this time in the life of Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Did he see the Lord Jesus Christ in that ram caught in a thicket? Did he see the crown of thorns on the head of the substitute? We don't know what picture Abraham saw, but Lord Jesus Christ was able to say that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. The ram, a substitute, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, wearing the crown of thorns. Now, I'll go very quickly over this because there's a lot of types. If you don't understand them, come and see me later. See Pastor Gavin. He'll understand them. The whole situation in this chapter is types relating to Christ and the church. Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac go up the mountain, the place of sacrifice. But there's no mention of Isaac. Look at chapter 22 and verse 19. Chapter 22 and verse 19 says this. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. 
No mention of Isaac coming down the mountain. Why? Because Isaac and type was a sacrifice. Isaac and type became the burnt offering, as it were. Even though there was a substitute, we know that. But Isaac and type was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham came down the mountain by himself, as it were. No mention of Isaac coming down. In fact, we do not see Isaac again until chapter 24. But in chapter 23, now listen to this, in chapter 23, Isaac's mother, Sarah, died. Now Sarah is a type of Israel. You see, after the sacrifice on the mountain, which is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ being sacrificed, Israel is cast off. And so Sarah dies. Sarah is a type of Israel. She died, as it were, after the sacrifice on the mountain. Then in chapter 24, Abraham calls his trusted servant. That trusted servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. And he says, go to a Gentile nation and get a Gentile bride for my son. And that's exactly what happened. God sent the Holy Spirit into this world that the church might be born and so forth. And at Pentecost, when the church was born, they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So the servant, a type of the Holy Spirit, meets Rebecca, gives her silver. Speaking of atonement, that's the first thing that happens in salvation. We are atoned. We get saved. We are born again. Then the second thing he gave her is gold. And then that speaks of deity into the family of God. The third thing she receives is raiment, talking about the covering, the imputed righteousness of Christ. So in Genesis 24, when you go down to the end of it, verses 61 to 67, Isaac the son, who is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ is out in the field. Rebecca is coming with the trusted servant, a type of the Holy Spirit and the church. And they meet together and it's a type of the rapture. Read it all. It's all there. It's wonderful types in Genesis, the books of first mention. And so the question which was asked by Isaac in Genesis 22, where is the lamb? Answered by Abraham, God will provide himself a lamb as a sacrifice was wonderfully fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw this morning that even John was able to point the out, say, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. One who was crowned with thorns, the one who was crowned with thorns, is the Lamb of Revelation. Please turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Verses 13 and 14. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13 says this. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Praise God, folks, one day we will live in eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Crowned with the crown of thorns, 
but crowned with glory and power forevermore. Lastly, the message of the crown. And this only goes for a minute. Folks, the simple message of the crown is that it speaks of Christ bearing our curse for us. To you, it could be a crown of pardon. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It could be a crown of pardon. But if you reject that Christ bore the crown for you, and if you reject that he paid the price of your salvation, and if you reject that you need to repent and be saved, then the crown could be a crown of perdition. A crown of perdition. Please turn to Matthew chapter 7 in closing. Matthew chapter 7 in closing. And here we read some of the saddest verses in all the Bible. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 through 23. Verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many, many, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And folks, today in our world, like verse 15, there are many false preachers. There are many false prophets leading men and women astray, telling them they do not need to repent, telling them they do not need to be saved, telling them that this is all independent Baptist stuff. Verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. And it goes on to talk about them. And then the Lord says, But not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. And there's many in this world today, and there's many in Australia today, that are saying, Lord, Lord, we're doing wonderful works in your name. And they say, Depart from me. Because you really didn't know me, and I did not know you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. The word of God says, you must be born again. The great question is, do you know the Savior? The Savior who wore that crown of thorns. Do you know the Savior that paid the price for your sin by the shedding of his own Precious blood. You see, we are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. The simple question is, heaven or hell for eternity? Which? The choice is yours. The material of the crown, the making of the crown, the misery of the crown, the mockery of the crown, 
the meaning of the crying, the mystery of the crying, the message of the crying. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.